Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, here we are, snowstorm, got us all stuck in the house, but we can still worship together. We can still dive in the Word together. So uh, glad you're here today. Looking forward to sharing a couple thoughts with you. Uh, as Diego has tried to get us to stop worshiping, but blessed are the flexible. They will not break. So I want to share some ideas out of a piece of the Christmas story, uh, Matthew chapter 2, and I want to entitle this, Wise Men Still Worship. I started talking about this last week in our church, but I just want to continue on with a few more thoughts today. So if you have a Bible, you can look on with me. I want to read a few verses out of this great part of the Christmas story, and then we're going to dive into some things. I think that can help us a lot. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Notice the word worship. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled all Jerusalem with him. And they gathered together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child, and when you found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Having heard the king, they went on their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. These magi, these wise men, these uh, Persian scholars um, were on a journey because they saw stirring in the heavens. They saw uh, a, a star in the heavens. It was a sign. It was something different. And this star, this stirring started them on a worship journey. And that's what I want to talk about for just a few moments today is the, the concept of living life on a worship journey and how wise men always choose to enter into worship. Wise men, wise women always live in a place of the journey of worship. So six components uh, that I want to talk about for a few minutes uh, to the wisdom of worship. Number one is this. Worship is the first move of a wise man. It's always a wise move to worship. That is always your best first move is to worship. The wisest thing that you could do in any given situation is to worship God first. Now, you got to remember that worship isn't just 
singing a couple songs at the beginning of a service or, uh, or even just singing a few songs. Certainly that is a part of worship. But really worship is when we stop and we clarify to ourselves the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the, the promise of God, the faithfulness of God. In other words, when we focus on God and we begin to worship Him, that's the proper starting point because circumstances are going to come and go. Things are going to be good. Things are going to be bad. There's going to be a snow day. There's going to be a sunny day. We all experience all of this, and all of this changes. All of this just moves around for us. But it's always wisdom to start out not being tied to seasons, not being tied to circumstances, not being tied to my mood or just whatever's going on around me, but to stop and pause because God never changes. He's always wise. He's always full of promise for our life. So you got a promotion, then the wisest move you could do is worship God and recognize He gave it to you. You got a bad report from the doctor, the wisest move you can make is to stop and recognize God is a healer, and God is with me, and God will never leave me or forsake me. That's, that's where your wisdom starts. You won in life, good. Worship God and, and recognize that your win came from heaven. But you feel like you lost in life? Well, then a wise move is always to stop and worship God and recognize this is just a chapter. This is just a season. And God is faithful, can restore to places that are even better than before. When, when we worship, it clears our perspective. It clears our heart, clears our head, clears our vision. Worship can lift you out of responding to the situation and worship can lift you into a place where you are actually responding to God in a situation. Not just responding to the circumstance, but responding to God in the situation. The second piece of uh, the component of the wisdom of worship is to recognize that wisdom seeks God out. Wisdom seeks out God. These wise men went on a journey. These wise men were seeking for God. They were, they were trying to find God and trying to figure out what was going on. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so I think this idea of recognizing that no matter what's going on, my wisest move is to start to try to seek out the Lord, try to seek out God, try to seek out what is God doing? What is God saying? Because the truth is, there's a piece of a relationship with God that you're never going to find just on the surface of things. It's, it's never just going to be apparent on the surface. God is not often found on the surface. Uh, Proverbs 25.2 says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. So God often puts his best stuff uh, a, a little bit lower than just on the surface of things so that we begin to seek it out. And I think what wisdom does is instead of saying, 
Why is this going on? Wisdom stops and says, okay, I recognize God is in charge, that God will have a plan of redemption and restoration. So wisdom stops and says, where is God in all of this? What is he saying? What is he trying to teach me? What does he want to show me about myself or about himself? So wisdom always seeks out God. These wise men diligently gave themselves to seeking out Jesus. And I think it's always a wise move for us to seek God out. Third component of the wisdom of worship is this idea. Worship is tangible. And Matthew 2.11 says this, They came into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I think when you, when you look at these wise men, you recognize that their worship was not just an emotion. It wasn't just a, a feeling that they were trying to conjure. Their, their worship was manifest in their efforts to find uh, the king. Their worship was manifest in their travel. Uh, their worship was manifest in the actual treasure they brought. In other words, they recognized we're not just looking for a baby. We're looking for a king. And they, they wanted to honor this king. So they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I just want to say every time that you invest time, energy, uh, put your heart out, put, put your time in, uh, everything that we do that's tangible, that says, God, you're worth it to me for me to pr have a prayer time or to show up at my church's prayer time or to give in an offering or for me to lift my hands and worship even when I'm not feeling it, even when my circumstances aren't great. I think every time we do something tangible that's saying to God, you're worth something to me is a powerful thing and it's a tremendous act of worship. The fourth component that I want to talk about for a few moments today is this idea. The fourth component of the wisdom of worship is this. Joy is a byproduct of worship. In other words, joy and worship go hand in hand. Uh, Matthew 2.10 in this story says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I want to I want to cause us to pause and think about this for a minute. Joy is a godly expression of worship, and I think often in our efforts to be serious about God, we miss the component of worship. I think joy is a missing dimension in the worship life of many churches. You can watch many, many churches on TV and they're singing songs and hymns and, and the truth is there's no joy involved in it. It's, it's, it's earnest. That's a good thing. But the joy factor is huge. It is a huge part of the kingdom of God. And I think there are so many forces at work in our world that are trying to steal our joy away from us. There's stuff you hear on the news. Uh, there's just crazy things going on on the planet. 
And, and to be able to hold on to your joy, to be able to stay strong in joy, to, to win the battle within your own head and your own heart, to win the battle of what's going on around you, to stay strong in joy, to stay full of the joy of the Lord, uh, it, it's a powerful and very wise move. Joy is a major part of God's kingdom. It, it's a huge part. And I think religion has literally ripped us off in the joy department. I remember when I would first gave my life to Christ, I think, I don't know, partly my personality, but partly the, the models that I had around me and the way I was taught, uh, I just, you know, I mean, I was so serious about my relationship with God and so, uh, you know, intense about my relationship with the Lord. And it really took me a while to recognize the, the power and the strength that the joy of the Lord brings into our life. The book of Romans says the kingdom of God uh, is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. And I believe that the continual byproduct of a life that is on the worship journey, that is living in worship, is this concept of joy. Uh, joy is not just an uh, an an added extra that we can kind of take or leave. Uh, I just want to encourage you to recognize that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you can find joy in His presence. And I think worship and joy are so tied together in the Bible. Let me read you a couple of verses from the book of Psalms. Psalm 1611 says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Psalm 59 verse 16 says, As for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. Psalm 63 verse 7 says, For you've been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Now, Psalm 81 verse 1 says, Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. I think all of these verses are pointing us to this idea. In His presence is fullness of joy. Uh, under the shadow of His wings, uh, I sing for joy. Uh, I, in my day of distress, I'm going to enter in to worship and find your joy. Here, I believe this is a simple but effective way to walk in joy. Instead of trying to talk yourself into happy, I think, honestly, when we begin to worship God, we just pause and say, God, I'm recognizing you. I'm worshiping you turning my head, I'm turning my heart, I'm turning all the thoughts, I'm turning my attention to your goodness and greatness. I believe that's just one of the greatest ways to enter into the strength that joy brings to our life. And I think, I think some people miss, uh, even in a church like ours that has such a strong emphasis on worship, I still think people can miss the joy of worship. You know, I mean, I, I do know that people are sometimes thinking, why do we have to raise our hands? Why, why do we have to stand so long? Why do we have to clap? Why do we have to, why do, we have to do that? And, and the truth is, it's the joy 
that comes in worship that we're trying to lead people into. You're probably not going to find joy trying to straighten every situation out, trying to get all bound up and caught up and trying to figure out every one of your situations in life. To have this kind of, let's see, if I do this, or if I do that, or if this could happen, or if they would do this, or that thing would take place. And you can do all these mental gymnastics and mental juggling. And I just want to encourage you to, to, to know that sometimes you're not going to be able to figure out how to fix it, what to do, how to move forward. And I want to encourage you, when you are in those kind of places, that's your best moment to start worshiping God. Worship is not avoiding your problem. Worship is not running from your problem. Worship is actually running to your answer. And so eventually, God's going to have an answer for you. He's going to have a way to work it out for you. Your peace and your joy coming out of worship are probably going to put you in a place where you can start to figure out what to do next. I think too often we let our joy, I know I do it, uh, you know, more than, I, more than I care to admit, that we let our joy get stolen away and be at the mercy of our circumstances. If things are going well, I, we feel up, but if things are not going well, we let our joy drop. But I just want you to know that joy is not tied to circumstances. As a matter of fact, you need the joy of the Lord to deal with your circumstances, to, to have the strength to change your circumstances. So circumstances are always changing, but God never changes. And, the, you know, the joy of the Lord is it's, the, it's different than happiness. And I, I think happiness is not a bad thing, but happiness does depend on what's happening. But joy is birthed out of our walk with God. So don't let your circumstances tell you whether you should have joy or not. Overcome your circumstances with the strength that your joy gives you. So joy and worship are always tied together and it's a wise move to make. The fifth idea that I want to talk about is this concept. Worship is tied to vision. Worship is tied to vision Vision is actually tied to worship. So Matthew 2.11 says, They came into the house and they saw. Their, their eyes saw. They had a vision. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. You know, every time you get a, a, a glimpse into heaven in the Bible, you always find people who are looking at God and seeing him clearly they're worshiping God because there's nothing to get in the way of their vision. They see God and just the sight of him is causing them to enter in to worship. Wor worship is not a blind move. Worship is not a, well, I got to ignore the things that are going on around me. No, I actually think there's a strong connection between what your vision is tied to and what your worship life looks like. And I know some people, you know, they have this idea, well, it doesn't feel authentic to me to, you know, to worship with what's going on in my life. How can you expect me to worship when things are all crazy 
And what I'm saying to you today is it all depends really on what you're looking at, what, what your vision is fixed on. If your vision is fixed on the God who is over all, then worship is going to flow freely. If your vision is fixed on the circumstance or the difficulty or the trial or the bad report or the whatever is going on, it, 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 you, what you are looking at, what your vision is attached to is going to make a huge difference. And I, I really believe there's a cycle of seeing and worshiping uh, and that one feeds the other. In other words, when I see something about God, it causes me to worship. And when I worship, I start to see more about God. The more I see Him, the more I worship Him. The more I worship Him, the more I see Him. So I believe that there's this strong um, capacity inside of all of us to be able to see things more clearly when we are living strong on the worship journey. If we see God as He is and the way we see Him is greater than the way we see our circumstances, then our worship is going to be so strong. And then the last idea, the sixth component of the wisdom of worship I want to talk about is this. Number six, direction comes out of worship. Direction comes out of worship. So Matthew 2.12, the Bible says, Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. So Herod had asked them to go find the child, come back to him, tell him what was going on so he could go to, uh, he said, to worship the child. But the truth is, that's not what he had in mind at all. And he had in mind to kill the child, and he had in mind to kill the Magi. But from this place of worship, these guys, these wise men, received from God uh, direction in a dream. The truth is, Herod was actually known as a brutal murderer, uh, even to the point of he murdered some of his sons, his actual sons, to keep them from taking his place on the throne. <laughs> I, it reminds me, it makes me think of this idea. When somebody shows you who they are, believe them. <laughs> and Herod had a track record of taking advantage of every situation. But these guys, these wise men, got direction from God because of their worship posture. I... I find many times in a worship time, uh, I'm going to get a nudge. I'm going to get peace about a situation that I should go ahead with. I'm going to get a, a check about a situation that I should not enter into. Uh, often when you're in worship, you're not even seeking direction. You're seeking God. But the Holy Spirit can drop a word into you. The worshiping heart is so easily directed. So honestly, when you don't know what to do, and that's often for a lot of us, what, what should be my next move? Uh, what direction should I go? The wisest move is to start worshiping God and the Holy Spirit can move and that kind of hard. Hey, I want to pray with you today. Uh, you know, we're talking about worship 
We're talking about uh, the goodness of God. And, and uh, you know, I don't know what your situation is right now. I know the holidays can have an impact on our life, uh, sometimes making things that are not great at this point in our world, uh, they just stand out a little bit more. So uh, I would love to pray with you today, and I want to invite you to really open your heart to God, uh, to open your heart to Jesus, to open your heart and surrender and submit to the Lordship of Jesus. So uh, I want to just stretch out and my heart and pray for you as you're watching this today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you're at. I don't even know you, uh, maybe, if you're watching this. But I do believe that there is a God who loves you. Uh, I do believe there is a God who is for you. I do believe He wants to work in your behalf if you'll just surrender your life to Christ. So, Father, I, I lift up every person that is watching uh, this teaching right now. And uh, Lord, I pray for peace. Uh, I pray for strength. Uh, I pray for grace. I pray for joy. I pray for healing. I pray for provision. I pray that, that your nearness will uh, be so real to them and enter into their world. So, Father God, we open our hearts to you. We surrender to you. We just say we love you. We need you. We want you in our world. Hey, thanks so much for uh, sticking with us a couple of minutes today. Uh, it's a snowstorm, but we're still loving God moving forward. We love you guys. If you're not in a home church somewhere and you live in the Asheville area, love to have you come visit, maybe be a part of, join the family at the Rock Church. God bless you guys. Have a great day.